You know, as Rebecca was sharing, and even as Tabitha was sharing uh, this morning, and even some others, um, I think of Mike, as someone was saying, Mike, uh, Ryan said that Mike prayed for him last week. I, I, the word that came to my mind is obedience. Um, as Tabitha got up to, to talk, uh, the thing that came to my mind was, um, it's all her fault that we have this prayer time. Um, because when we first started to gather together, Tabitha had such a burden for prayer that we would be a people of prayer, that we would pray together, that we would, uh, and then out of that, there would be a care that would come and connections that would come. And, and frankly, that vision that she had years ago uh, has come into reality, that people who pray together in this space all of a sudden are connecting uh, throughout the week and care is happening. And it was a step of obedience where Tabitha just said, you know what, let's step into this. This is the type of people that, that God wants us to be. And Steve and Rebecca stepping into the um, chaos of planning Breakthrough 24 and saying, okay, we don't know all that's going to happen, stepped into that and they have seen fruit uh, out of that and relationships deepening. And what I'm seeing even out of that and in so many different areas, there is a, a bubbling that is happening in this area where people are, there's an increase in people crying out to the Lord where people are hungry for the Lord and, and crying out uh, for God to move in powerful ways in this area. And uh, I know as I look throughout Scripture that the cries of God's people um, don't go unheard. Like God listens, God hears. Now his timing is often different than our timing. And I would have, like, if I was God, I'd been like, God, do that yesterday. Um, but his ways are greater than our ways. And I don't understand all of it, but it's, there's a bubbling that's coming up and saying, God, move in powerful ways. And so I just get really encouraged. And the challenge that I want to put up to, to myself and to all of you this morning is be obedient. When God prompts your heart, if it lines up with Scripture, if it's not sin, if it doesn't go against the truth that we see in Scripture, step out in obedience and do what God has asked you to do. Even if it's praying for somebody at work, even if it's sharing the gospel, even if it's... Um, caring for somebody in, in, in some way, shape, or form, even if it's opening up your home and you're like, I don't know how all of this is going to work, do it. Like so often, I think as, as us uh, West Michigan people and Americans, we like to have this plan and this process like ABC, you got to have everything in place. And there's a place for that. But I believe too that we need to be a people of God who are more dependent on him and acting out in obedience when he tells us to go, when the Holy Spirit is leading. And I just imagine what could happen if daily we're walking in that. Um, so I just would encourage you this week, you know, listen for that still small voice and then act out in it. Be obedient and see what God, uh, God does. Well, this morning, um, I have a dollar for somebody. Anybody need a dollar? I'm serious. Anybody need a dollar? Well, you, you were second. Cynthia uh, raised her hand first. So Cynthia jumped the gun. So you need a dollar. Here you go. Here's a dollar for you. And you did nothing, did nothing to, to earn that. You're welcome. You got a dollar. But let me ask you this question, Cynthia. How do you know that that dollar is real? She's looking at it right now. Now she's smelling it. How do you know it's real? Now she's crinkling it. Because you believe in me. Well, why should you believe that I, you know, gave you a real dollar? What's that? I don't know. I'm not, I'm not a perfect person. Only Jesus was. Like, how do you know that that is real? Seems real, right? Yeah, seems real. Now, I gave her a dollar just, just for fun um, because I was reminded this morning of a story that my dad shared. My dad was a banker for over 40 years. And I remember watching my dad take a, a stack of ones 
And he would, he would organize them in such a way, and I've never seen somebody count money as fast as my dad counted. Like, he would put it in his hands, and he just went, and I'm like, how can you even count as fast as your hands are moving? And uh, he just was remarkable in it, like would count all this money. Um, and he worked in the banking industry at a time when there wasn't uh, a lot of cards, it wasn't digital, obviously. And he worked in Southern California, and people would come in with, uh, with stacks of money and, that he would have to count uh, because they were, he, he worked in a town called Del Mar, and Del Mar was known for the racetrack. And people would go and gamble at the racetrack and all of that stuff. And so they would come and deposit the money with him. And uh, he would have to count all this money or whatever. And other people would, would count this money. And uh, I, I asked my dad one time, I said, how do you know that those dollars are real? How, how do you know, like, has anybody ever, like, put a, a counterfeit dollar in there? Have you ever come across anything? And, and he said, yeah, from time to time we come across counterfeit money. And I'm like, how do you know in that stack? And even, you know, that was back in the late 90s, and now uh, people have gotten even better at that. But I'm like, how do you know what you're counting is, is not counterfeit? And my dad said something that has stuck with me, and I was reminded of it this morning. He goes, uh, I know it's not counterfeit because I handle the real all the time. I know what the real feels like. And my dad could actually come across a dollar in a stack and could feel, it, was, it would feel different. And he's like, oh, this is counterfeit. And sure enough, they would, uh, they would you know, look at it even more and, and, and figure some things out. And sure enough, it was counterfeit. But my dad said, I know what the real, I know what is counterfeit, what is fake, because I handle the real all the time. It hit me this morning. That we live in a world, we live in a, in a world that is very physical. There's, there's benches that we're sitting on, but there's a spiritual realm. We, we live in a very spiritual world, and we're in spiritual, there, there's a spiritual battle going on all around. And the enemy is constantly trying to, to steal, kill, and destroy, to deceive us. And there are counterfeits all out there. And a question that hit me this morning is, how do we know what's real? How do we, how, or how can we even spot a, spot a counterfeit? It's by looking at the real over and over and over again. And one of the joys of my life is to go to Scripture over and over again and look at Jesus, the one who is the truth, the one who is the way, the one who is real, and remind myself over and over again of who Jesus is because when I immerse myself in, in who Jesus is, the real, the truth, it is easier for me to identify, oh, the enemy's working in this way or, or that way. And so this morning and in the next couple weeks, I want to hop into the life of Jesus post-resurrection, after raising from the dead, and before he ascends into heaven, and look at the encounters that he had with people, and look at his character and his heart, and look at some of those attributes that we see of Jesus, and then ask ourselves, like, okay, he talked to people that way post-resurrection. How does he want to speak to us today? What does he want to teach us through those encounters? And so this morning, I want to hop into Mark chapter 16. Mark chapter 16, uh, we've been going through the gospel of Mark, and uh, if you think about it, like post-resurrection, Jesus acted a little bit differently than he did before he rose from the dead. There's some interesting encounters where, and we'll see those uh, today, where all of a sudden Jesus will just show up in a room. It's like he just goes through a wall, like, or he ta- he's talking with some people, and then the next thing you know, he is somewhere completely different. And so it just is very interesting. He's acting a little bit differently, but we see his heart and his character coming out in, in powerful ways. And so in Mark chapter 16, we're going to make our way through the, the end of, of Mark chapter 16 today, and uh, you'll see a little footnote. It says, some of the earliest manuscripts do not include these 
verses. Now, smart people, scholars will say, like, these verses uh, weren't in the actual uh, original manuscripts. Now, it was true that some early manuscripts didn't have these verses, but there are some that do. And uh, some people, even in the second century, quoted from the end of Mark. And so, and then if you look at the end of Mark, you see that some of these stories that Mark includes here and summarizes uh, are also included in other Gospels. And so I think that these verses um, are to be looked at and something that we can learn from in Jesus' interactions with people. And so if you look at Mark 16, starting in verse 9, we're going to read, Now when he rose early on the first day of the week... He appeared first to Mary Magdalene, from whom he had cast out seven demons. She went and told those who had been with him as they mourned and wept. But when they heard that he was alive and had been seen by her, they would not believe it. So Jesus here uh, appears to Mary Magdalene, and we don't get much information from Mark here about that interaction, and so let's hop over to John chapter 20 and read about that interaction that Jesus had with Mary on that first day of the week. And so John chapter 20, verses 11 through 18, it says, Mary, in John 20, verse 11, stood weeping outside the tomb, and as she wept, she stooped to look into the tomb. And she saw two angels in white sitting there where the, where the body of Jesus had been lain, one, of, one at the head and one at the feet. They said to her, woman, why are you weeping? She said to them, they have taken away my Lord, and I do not know where they have laid him. I mean, you think about that, Mary. All throughout the New Testament, we see that, that Mary is, the description that follows her name was, uh, is the one where uh, Jesus delivered her of seven demons. Seven is this, this number of perfection. And so I often look at, at Mary was so consumed with the demonic, so enchained, so entrapped. The enemy had gotten a hold of her life and Jesus came to her and set her free. And if you watch The Chosen and that reenactment of, of Mary, the, the Chosen actually starts off with Mary. And some would say, well, it started off kind of slow. And then episode three or four, it gets along. But I absolutely loved episode one because here was Mary so enchained by uh, the chains of the enemy. And Jesus comes in and sets her free. And so Mary, this, this was, Jesus was everything to her. And so here she's weeping because he just died. And she, her heart's broken. And so she's having this interaction. In verse 14, it says, Having said this, she turned around and saw Jesus standing, but she did not know that it was Jesus. Jesus said to her, Woman, why are you weeping? Whom are you seeking? Supposing him to be the gardener, she said to him, Sir, if you have carried him away, tell me where you have laid him, and I will take him away. And you see that, that passion that Mary had. She's like, I'll take his body. Just show me where you laid him and I'll, I'll go get him. And then Jesus said to her, Mary. She turned and said to him in Aramaic, Rabboni, which means teacher or my teacher. And Jesus said to her, don't cling to me, for I have not yet ascended to the Father, but go to my brothers and say to them, I am ascending to my Father and your Father, to my God and your God. Mary Magdalene wet, went and announced to the disciples, I have seen the Lord, and that he had said these things to her. I mean, it's quite the interaction. Like Mary there is, is weeping, and then, then all of a sudden she sees that it's Jesus. He's revealed to her, and then she's, I can see, just clinging on to him. And just like, oh, you're, you're alive. And Mary is called by 
her name. And she says, this is my teacher. This is my savior. And then he says, don't cling to me. Like, go and tell. Go and tell other people about me. And this interaction that Jesus has, the very first interaction with somebody, he interacts with, with Mary Magdalene, the one who had been set free, just reveals to me and should reveal to us just how personal Jesus is. I mean, this is such a powerful reminder that on this day that Jesus rose, who was the person that he interacted first with? It was Mary. Calls her by name. Has this personal interaction with her. Mary, who's devastated by his death. And all of a sudden, she sees him there. Just such a powerful reminder that Jesus is personal. Jesus is close. Matthew 28. Jesus said, go and make disciples of all nations. And he goes on, he says, baptizing them in the name of the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit. Teaching them to obey everything that I've commanded them, commanded you to, to obey. And then at the very end, it says... And lo, I will be with you always to the very end of the age. Matthew 18, verse 20. Jesus says, where two or three are gathered in my name, I will be there. Jesus is personal. Jesus is so close. And this is something that we have to remind ourselves over and over again, that we do not go through this life alone, that Jesus is with us. And because of that, we don't have to be afraid or we don't have to be filled with, with fear. Jesus is Personal. This is so transformative and something that is, is the very foundation of our lives. This past couple of weeks, I was texting with a guy that I knew over 10 years ago. And he said to me, he goes, something that you told me years ago, I'm having a problem with. You told me don't treat Jesus as an insurance salesman. I'm like, huh? He went on to explain. He said, you said salvation is not like buying fire insurance. I said, yeah, I, I said that. And he went on to say, he goes, I don't know if I agree with that. I put my faith in Jesus just in case, you know, Jesus is real. Then one day I'll go to heaven, but I'm not really walking with him. But I put my faith in him and I guess I'm good. And I'm like, I was interacting with him via text and I, and it just reminded me of the lie that people have believed. That if you just pray a prayer, but then live your life however you want to live. It's like, I pray a prayer. I prayed a prayer when I was younger, so I, I'm, I'm totally good. And the only problem with that is Scripture. And what we see over and over in Scripture, John 17 says, this is eternal life, that you know God, know Him in your heart, have a relationship with Him, and Jesus Christ, whom He sent. It's all about knowing. It's all about we're invited into this deep relationship, a knowing of Jesus, a reconciling to God the Father. It's all about this relationship. It's not just about, oh, I'm buying insurance that one day, okay, I'll go to heaven, but then I'm living like ever I, I want to all the days of my life. This is a reminder that Jesus is personal and invites us into relationship and wants to walk with us and is with us even very, very like right now in this moment. There's a deep knowing that we're invited into. This absolutely blows me away because when we're going through the trials of life, as we go through our lives, there is an increase in knowing of the Lord. And I look back when I was 13 and sitting in my bed and reading my Bible and what I knew of Jesus then, I'm blown away by what I know about him now. And if I fast forward millions of years, there's going to be this increased amount of knowing him and there's so much joy that fills my heart. Jesus is personal. I look at how he interacted with Mary. Very, very personal. Jesus is inviting you and I into that deep knowing with him today. Continues, Mark 16, verse 12. It says, after these things, he appeared in another form 
to two of them as they were walking in the country. So that's where it throws me. Like he appeared to him in another form. So he appeared to Mary as a gardener. She thought he was a gardener. And now he's just another form walking with, with two people in the country. And they went back and told the rest, but they did not believe him. This is the story of Jesus walking with the two on the road to Emmaus. And so often we think that maybe it was two guys walking you know, in the country. Other people think that it was actually a husband and wife because later that Jesus was invited to their house to, to have a meal and to stay. But they're walking in this country, and, and we're going to look at this more uh, next week. But you see Jesus walking um, with these people who were walking to Emmaus seven miles away from Jerusalem. They had walked away from Jerusalem because they had put their hope in Jesus and they were disappointed and discouraged because he was killed. And so they're walking away bummed and frustrated and they're like, oh, we thought he was the one. We don't know if they were close disciples of Jesus or hanging out in the crowd or if they just heard about Jesus and there was growing curiosity in their hearts like, oh, is he the one? And then they were walking back home discouraged and frustrated. And on the first day that Jesus rose, from the dead. He walked with them the seven mile journey to Emmaus, talking with them all along the way. They didn't even realize it was him. They're walking with him and then in an instant their eyes are open and they see that it was Jesus. Now let me ask you this question. If you rose from the dead, if you died and came back to life, is this how you would spend your first day? Spending two hours walking with people on a road, people with the discouraged. It just, to me, is such a reminder that Jesus pursues people. Jesus pursues those who are discouraged. Jesus doesn't give up. Here, they're walking away, and they're not really well known, and they're walking back home, and Jesus pursues them and walks with them and reveals himself to them. And this is the, the heart of the Father all throughout Scripture. Anytime that people walk away from the Lord, anytime they sin, like as soon as they turn, like God is pursuing their, His pursuing relationship with them. All throughout Scripture, there's a picture of the relentless pursuit of the Father. See, there's this myth, there's this lie that, that God is, is angry at us. God's mad. No, His heart breaks like a father longing for relationship with us. And on the day that Jesus rose, we see that he spent two hours walking at a pace of three and a half miles per hour with two people who were disappointed as they walked home. He pursued relationship with them. And they go back. And they go back and they share what happened and the disciples didn't believe. God is constantly pursuing relationship with you. Constantly pursuing to have your whole life. Is there an area of your life that's not surrendered over to Jesus? He is going to be relentless in pursuit of that until he has completely your whole life. It goes on. Afterwards, he appeared to the eleven themselves as they were reclining at the table. And he rebuked them for their unbelief and hardness of heart because they had not believed those who saw him after he had risen. Like that is absolutely amazing. Like here are the, the 11. They had heard story after story after story and, and they're hanging out together and Jesus appears to him and in other places in John actually, uh, John 20, it says they were freaked out when they saw him. They were freaked out when they saw Jesus. They thought he was a ghost and Jesus appears to him, appears to them and, and is saying like, why don't you believe? 
He rebukes them for the hardness of heart, for their unbelief. And he speaks peace into their scenario, into the situation. But the thing that stands out to me about this little, these couple verses is how patient Jesus is. Jesus is so patient with us. So patient. Like I, I think about the, dis, the, the disbelief, the unbelief of the disciples. And they walked with him for three years. And then all of a sudden they're hearing these stories and he told them this was what was going to take place. But there was so much unbelief in their heart. And he's like, huh, he rebuked them. But the thing that he did not do was he did not reject them. God is patient. Jesus is so patient. And this week, there was such an encouragement to me in, in reading this passage because I can look at my life and all the ways that I mess up and all the ways that I blow it. And then I'm reminded of how Jesus, how patient Jesus is with the disciples. And it's so, uh, such a powerful reminder that he is patient with us. See, I think sometimes we can believe this lie that Jesus has given up on us, that he's not going to work through us, that he's, he's given up hope. He's like, oh, they keep missing it and missing it. But Jesus is reminding us this morning that he is patient, that he walks with us. But also as we look at the disciples and their unbelief, we must constantly wage war on unbelief in our own hearts. Is there space in your heart where as you look at Scripture, is there space in your heart where unbelief has, has risen up and you don't believe the words that you find here? We must constantly wage war on unbelief. Do you believe every word of Scripture? Do you believe this is real? Do you believe that Jesus rose from the dead, that he's alive, reigning, and really, ruling? And I think we have to wrestle with that this morning. Um, where is their unbelief in our heart? We have to wrestle with that even before we get to the next little section. Do we believe every word here? Because if we do, it's going to have implications for our lives as we read this next section. It goes on. Jesus rebuked them for their unbelief, but he didn't reject them. He said, now here is what I want, for you, to do, want you to do. Go into all the world and proclaim the gospel to the whole creation. Whoever believes and is baptized will be saved, but whoever does not believe will be condemned. These signs will accompany those who believe. In my name, they will cast out demons. They will speak in new tongues. They will pick up serpents with their hands. And if they drink any deadly poison, it will not hurt them. They will lay their hands on the sick and they will recover. I mean, that's what Jesus said. Here is my purpose. Here is what I want to see happen. Jesus is alive, reigning and ruling, and so Jesus is speaking to the disciples and, 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 and he's, has this expectation that his ministry would continue because he is alive, but he's gonna, it's going to continue through the hands of his followers. Do we believe that that is the case? That the kingdom of God, that God wants the kingdom, his kingdom to come and reign and rule in this space on earth, and he's going to do that through the hands and the lives of of his followers. I look at this and we can get hung up on the snake part. I don't like snakes and so that always you know, hangs me up. But we can look at that part and be like, I don't know if I believe about this or that or whatever, but I don't want us to, to get hung up on that this morning. Here's what I believe to be absolutely true is that the mission of Jesus is for both a demonstration and a declaration of the kingdom of God. The mission of Jesus is to, see, to have both a demonstration and a declaration of the kingdom of God. A demonstration, you look at what he's saying here, like this kingdom, the kingdom of God, when it comes on earth, it brings life and peace and joy and freedom to so many. 
People's lives are transformed. He cares about the physical lives of people and seeing the, 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 um, the sick be made well and seeing Mary who had been entrapped for no, so many years to be set free. He wants to see the lives of people transformed. The kingdom of God, like we see in Revelation 22, there's going to be no more sickness, no more crying, no more tears, no more death. That is what we are working for here as we are alive on this earth. But there also needs to be a declaration of the gospel. And I believe this may be where we need faith to rise up again. Do we believe, do we believe that people without a relationship with Jesus will spend eternity in hell apart from him? Do we really believe that? To the point where we are telling people about it. Jesus is very clear. Whoever believes in me will be saved, but those who do not believe in me will be condemned. Does that move our heart to proclaim the gospel of Jesus Christ? Does it move us in such a way to say, we have got to get into relationships with people where we show that the kingdom of God is real, but we also speak the truth of the gospel into their lives. This is the purpose that Jesus has for us, that we work, work and give our lives to this to see many more people come into relationship with him, but do we believe that in such a way that our lives are transformed? Are we living in this simple way where we are not ashamed of the gospel of Jesus Christ, but are proclaiming it and demonstrating it? If so, if we believe that, there must be a boldness that rises up in us, a boldness that comes from the Spirit of God to say, we need to give our lives completely for this. Because the enemy would have us believe that there's many ways to heaven. I don't know, people don't spend eternity apart from God. Would have us slide into complacency. But I believe the Lord wants to wake us up this morning to live lives wholeheartedly for Him because He is alive. He is risen. He is reigning. He will come back. And he is with you. He wants you to know him. He's patient with us, yes. But he wants us to give our lives wholeheartedly for him. And the crazy thing is, as we do that, we see the kingdom of God move in us and through us in ways that are beyond our imagination. And so I want Josh and, and the team to come up. And we're going to sing this song, Christ Be Magnified. And it's more than just a song to be sung at the end of a service. This needs to be our prayer, that Christ is magnified in our lives, that we don't want people to see us. We want people to see Jesus. And as we sing this song, I want you to wrestle with the question of where is there unbelief in your heart? As you read a Mark 16, as you read other passages in Scripture that talk about that, do you believe that God actually wants to do that through your life? That as you speak the gospel, he works in powerful ways to transform hearts. That as you pray for people, that God has the power to heal people, deliver people. Or have you, in walking with the Lord for so long, have you allowed unbelief to creep in? Because I know I have. And I constantly have to wrestle with Mark 16 and say, God, root out unbelief from my heart. I don't want it. I want to live wholeheartedly for you. So let's stand together and make this the prayer of our hearts.